Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast, video edition, episode China. Uh, I'm from Canham County College. You can get a listen to our podcast at greatbighistory.com. See our website, find us on iTunes, and find us on Google Play and Stitcher on Great Big History, Great Big History Podcast. And so we're in China. We're still in History 101, Ancient China. And Ancient China is at the eastern edge of Asia. Now, why does that matter? It matters because it's isolated from our other civilizations. Egypt and Mesopotamia had a lot to deal with each other, especially in the Middle Kingdom, New Kingdom. In fact, there's the whole thing we did about trauma, the Bronze Age collapse, and... Uh, India is connected to Mesopotamia and thus connected to Egypt. The Persians will conquer India. The Aryans come from Mesopotamia into India. Alexander will go from Europe to Egypt, to Mesopotamia, to India. He'll combine all of these areas of our major civilizations, Europe, Egypt, Mesopotamia, India. So there's a lot of trade. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of connections. China's at the far end of Asia. It is not connected to them. Why? Because it's looking out on the sea. It's got two rivers, the Yellow and the Yangtze. And like Mesopotamia, it lives in those river valleys. It's between those two, in those two rivers. That's the core of Ch- ancient China. And on its western side is deserts, mountains, and a vast grassland called the steppe, S-T-E-P-P-E, that's dominated by nomads. So you can't connect to the other civilizations because you'd have to deal with the nomads, and the nomads will kill you, remember, episode one. So you've got these vast thousands of miles of grassland. You're separated from India by mountains. You're separated by the nomads. But you got two rivers, and two rivers equal wealth. Why? Because water equals agriculture. Agriculture equals food. Food equals cities. Cities equal trade. Trade equals money. Money equals knowledge. So if you've got two rivers, you've got two of that. Unless you have the Nile. The Nile doesn't count as one river. The Nile counts like as five rivers. But... The idea is that you have two major rivers. So this is going to be a successful, rich society. But it's based, like Mesopotamia, between these two rivers. Now, it will expand out of that eventually. But the core of ancient China is the lands between these two rivers. It's on the west and the north, bounded by barbarians. And that's going to be very important because China is constantly invaded. We will later talk about Mongols. There's going to be the Huns. There's a, before we get to imperial China, the Qin and the Han dynasties, there's going to be constant invasions by these barbarian peoples. In fact, there's going to be so many invasions that the Chinese are going to build a giant wall. It's not going to work, but they're going to try to keep out nomads. So remember when we talked about you build a wall around the city to keep out nomads? The Chinese tried to build a wall around China to keep out nomads. It still didn't work. Walls don't work. Because you can go over walls, you can go under walls, you can go through walls, you can bribe people who guard walls. Because those people who guard walls are always paid badly. 
all in history, they're always paid badly because they're at the edge of a frontier. And so you walk up and you say, hey, I'll give you $20,000 and you just leave this door unlocked and look away. You're going to find some guard who says, okay, I'm going to take a long break for an hour. I'm going to eat, eat my sandwich and digest. You do whatever you do. I don't know. I don't know nothing. And so you have Western and Northern barbarians that separate China from the other civilizations and are dangerous to China because when they hit those rivers, they go right down the gut of China, right down the middle. And they can burn their way along. Now, what will happen, though, is, is China will learn how to absorb those people. So, yes, they will get conquered by them. They will, they will be burned by them. The Mongols are our best example. The Mongols will kill 30 million Chinese, burn all of northern China. And yet what happened to them? They got absorbed and became Chinese. Not all the Mongols, but the ones who invaded China eventually in a hundred years. Like the first Kublai Khan is a Mongol. He looks like a Mongol. He acts like a Mongol. He's a Mongol. A hundred years later, the Mongol emperor looks Chinese, speaks Chinese, writes in Chinese, has a Chinese wife, has Chinese looking kids, uses chopsticks. Like in every way, he, he dresses Chinese. He, he, he is Chinese. And the Chinese look at him and go, yeah, you're not Mongol. He goes, I am Mongol. And they're like, yeah, no, no. Don't even know how to ride a horse anymore. No. For all intents and purposes, they became Chinese. They became absorbed. And, the, and China will, will do that to these barbarians. Whereas that doesn't necessarily happen in other places. So this brings us to Chinese imperial history. Like India, China is so old, we can see patterns. And... Like India, we start with one, a unified. We start with one China. And what happens is it breaks up. Like a good high school romance, it's bound to break up. Sooner or later, it has to break up. So it breaks up into pieces. Maybe 10 pieces, maybe three pieces, maybe 200 pieces. It breaks up. But then geography and culture Bring it back together. You get the Warring States period. Those pieces start to fight with each other. But they don't start to fight with each other in order to break up into smaller pieces like in India. They fight with each other in order to bring those pieces together. There is never a question, should there be a China? The question merely is, who should run it? See, here's, here's the thing. China breaks up. Let's say it breaks up into three parts. What do you think each of those parts call themselves? What name do they give themselves? We give them different names, but guess what name they give themselves? They all give themselves the name China. And so you'll have letters from the emperor of China, the king of China, the emperor of China, to the fake emperor of China, the so-called emperor of China, the guy who thinks of himself maybe as a pretending uh, emperor of China. The loser... Uh, that's at the head of the fake state of the fake country that calls itself China. You get these letters where they say, I am the real China, you're the fake China. And guess what they respond with? That's very nice, fake emperor of the fake China. Sincerely, real emperor, real China. Because the idea is that there should be 
one China. And we live in a warring states period today. There are two Chinas in the world. There is the People's Republic of China. That's mainland China. That's communist China or ex-communist China. That's where your iPhone comes from. But there's also Taiwan, the Republic of China. There's two Chinas. Taiwan, American ally, where iPhones, where your iPod might have come from, your older iPod, and certainly your Macintosh in the 90s, if you're that old, you're old enough to remember the 90s, they came from Taiwan. Um, That's the Republic of China. There's two Chinas. And they are technically at war with each other. They both call themselves the real China. And the United States Navy is in between them, keeping them apart. We've been doing that since 1947. We helped set up the Republic of China, Taiwan. And the Taiwan Strait is an incredibly dangerous place, especially if China starts building aircraft carriers because it's 300 miles wide and there's not really a way for China to invade Taiwan until it gets aircraft carriers. But it also tells Taiwan, don't be too independent. And so when Taiwan has an election, suddenly Chinese missiles go overhead and land in the sea beyond. Kind of like what North Korea is doing to Japan right now in 2017. Just to remind you, so when you go to an election and you vote for the the party that wants to be close to China or the party that wants to be independent of China, it's to remind you not to be, just remember we're out there. And if we can hit beyond you, we can hit you. So we live in an age of two Chinas that are technically at war with each other. And sooner or later, they will absorb. That's what we call the one China policy. Since 1980, the United States has admitted, yeah, sooner or later, you two will become one China. You two are one China. We admit it. Because that's what they say. Taiwan thinks one day it will take over mainland China. And mainland China, uh, now that it's rich, assumes it will absorb Taiwan. See, for a long time, for the first 50 years, Taiwan looked like they were going to win. Because Taiwan would absorb mainland China because communism would fail and democracy in Taiwan would succeed and those democratic parties would then go to mainland China, get elected, and you'd, you'd, you'd do basically what West Germany did to East Germany and what South Korea will one day do to North Korea. Sooner or later, you're just going to bring your system in and absorb it. What communist China did after the Tiananmen Square massacre is say, we are going to change. We are going to become much more capitalistic. We are going to make you wealthy. Just don't revolt. And Chinese people said, all right. And boom, 10% growth, 9% growth, 8% growth, 10% growth. So China goes from being relatively poor in 1985 to being the second richest country in the world. 800 million people have come out of poverty in the last 25 years. So how do you run China then? So one day there will be one China, and we are a part of that. That's what's called the one China policy. Sooner or later, there will be one China. And the person who's going to run that is some kind of super leader. Now, through most of history, from the Qin, through the Han, through the Song, through the even the Mongols, the, the Yuan, all the way up to the Manchus, 
it is an emperor. There's kings in the beginning and chiefs in the beginning, but for the long period of about 2,000 years, we have an emperor. So how do you run China? Well, you have the mandate of heaven. The mandate of heaven is legitimacy. The gods want you to be in charge. Well, that's nice. The gods want you to be in charge. How do you know the gods want you? Well, before we even get there, what does it mean to have the mandate of heaven? Well, it means you get absolute power. You can do whatever you want. Anything. But there's an important limit on that power. You have to protect or improve the people. You can do whatever you want. In fact, the Communist Party uses this, this power today. When it, when it created the Three Gorges Dam and it, it moved 10 million people, it says, we're going to build a dam on the, I believe it's the Yellow River. It's the Yellow of the Yangtze, but we're going to dam it up. 10 million of you are going to lose your homes, but it's going to create electricity for 100 million people down the river or more. It's the same argument. You are allowed to do whatever you want as long as it's to protect or improve the people of China. You can't do it for yourself. That's the idea. You have absolute power. You can't use it to enrich yourself. You can have a nice life, your emperor, but you can't use it to scam, to cheat, to steal, to make people worse, to be a dictator, a tyrant, to use that power for, you're supposed to be Superman, absolute power, but you have to use it for good. And you can see it in nature. Now, there's a traditional way. The gods like you. Good stuff happens. The crops are good. The animals that are born are, are, are normal. Uh, people, uh, children are born and they're happy. You don't starve. Things are great. But bad things happen. We talked about that with Buddhism. Sooner or later, an earthquake is going to happen. Sooner or later, a cyclone, hurricane is going to come. Like... Yeah, you can have good crops for years. Sooner or later, something bad is going to happen. And the question is, what will the government do then? Think of uh, Katrina and, and, and uh, New Orleans. Or think of Puerto Rico in 2017 after Maria, where it's devastated and the electricity is still, we're a month, two months past that, electricity is still not on. You look at Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands from space, and they are dark. There are black holes in the ocean. And what it means is that government is supposed to help people in trouble. This government serves people in trouble. So when nature, bad nature stuff happens, a good government helps people. A bad government can't, or worse, won't. The most famous picture of, Don, of, of I almost said Donald Trump, but it's not. The most famous picture to come out of Hurricane Katrina of George W. Bush, the president, was him flying over New Orleans and looking out the window and looking at that devastation. Thousands of people were dead, had drowned, devastation, poverty had happened, was going to, still going on, and him flying over. 
did that have to be the photo? No. What could have been the photo? Well, this could have been the photo. Imagine this picture. George W. Bush, shirtless, rippling abs. And you say, oh, that's gross. That can't happen. Obama had rippling abs. Obama was so ripped as president. Republicans complained when he went to Hawaii and and P and like TMZ and the National Enquirer took photos of him in a bathing suit and like you can't do that because we we're pasty white dudes. You can't look that hot. It's not fair. It's just celebrity. They got mad in like 2008, 2009. Why is he on the beach looking hot? And tan and fit. Not fair. So you could have a ripped George W. Bush. No, no problem. So he's shirtless. Magnum P.I. level hair on his chest. Ripped abs. Up to his waist in the muck. A sleeping Latino baby cur- cradled in one arm. An African-American grandmama holding on to his back. The helicopter ladder held in one hand as he's being lifted off of the roof, off of the muck, saving these people. Kanye West in the concert for Katrina said, George Bush doesn't like black people. And now, I don't think the president is racist. I don't think George W. Bush was racist. I don't think you could get... I, I didn't think you could get elected and be a racist in this day and age. But people listened to that. 100 million people heard that. And some percentage of them said, yep, that's why. He's, he's letting people die in, in New Orleans, in Katrina, because he's racist. Even if it's 1% of 100 million, that's still a million people who think that. But imagine he had a photo of him cradling a baby, sleeping baby, an African-American grandmama holding on to him. He's being ripped. He's being lifted out of the muck by one hand on a ladder from a helicopter. Kanye West would have got up there and said, this is the blackest president we've ever had. He's amazing. This is a man who loves black people. He should be president forever. He, that could have been the picture. That could have been the message. That could have been what Kanye West said. It wasn't. And that's what the, and what happened. George W. Bush, from that point on, was never popular again. And the Republicans went down with it. So that in 2008, the United States had a revolution. It got rid of the Republicans. And he got rid of George W. Bush. And you say, well, he's not running. Well, his successor didn't win either. The guy who was chosen to be his successor didn't win. And they got creamed in 2008. And who did America elect? An African-American man with a funny name. That's the loss of the mandate of heaven. You have seen it happen. 
if you live through Katrina, you've seen it happen. Because a loss equals revolution and a new dynasty. And here comes Barack, and here comes hope and change, and here comes we're going to be liberal, and here we're going to help you, and here government is going to change. Government's going to do all the things that it didn't do for Katrina. Government is going to help you in times of trouble. Now, you can argue whether it did or it didn't during the Great Recession. That's a whole different story, and that's for a whole different class. But we had a revolution, a quiet one, a legal one. We, but America looked at the two sides and said, that's the side that messed up. We're going with the other side. And that's the loss of the mandate of heaven. People don't trust you to run things anymore. Now, you don't have elections in ancient China. What you do is have a revolution, murder the dynasty, put a new guy in. Go through your warring states period, put somebody new in. In our next episode, we're going to talk about Confucius, who's going to live through a warring states period, who's going to be a teacher in a warring states period and going to be horrified by the destruction. He's actually a contemporary. I'm pretty sure he's a contemporary of Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu's going to have lots of work. Sun Tzu's going to write a handbook of how, how to be a great general. People are going to line up to hire him. Confucius was a regular old teacher during a warring states period, which meant nobody wanted to hire him. And he had to deal with the fact that Chinese people were killing other Chinese people. And he asked, why? And our question, we're going to, in our next subject, we're going to talk about that question. We're going to see what Confucius does to answer it and how you can get people to live with each other. Whether or not they want to. And to do things that they have to do, whether or not they want to. So that's next time on Great Big History. Take care.